And I don't know what you thought as you were listening to that, and if you didn't nod off. Um, because this last chapter, I think, can seem a bit of a mishmash. We've had, in Colossians, we've had the sweep of theology claiming Jesus as the image of God, the power behind the universe, the cosmic sacrifice that reconciles all things to God, and what that means for us. On the one hand, freedom from legalistic rules and judgment, and on the other, a call to live in the new resurrection kingdom, and what that looks like in reality. Always, Paul links real life to grand theology. So he's looked at the literally earth-shattering outcome of the resurrection, one of which is that there should be no divisions among the people who follow Christ. And as divisions harden around us in so many ways in our world, and it gets more polarized than it's been for a long time, that is as revolutionary now as it was then. And Paul has explored the qualities that should characterize us, the way our relationship should look. And then suddenly, we reach the end of the letter, and it's, it's maybe Paul was running out of parchment, or... Tychicus's boat was about to leave, I don't know, but it's like he realises all the things he hasn't quite said yet, and he sort of scribbles them down in a fury. And then, you know, if you're on the phone to your mum, I have this sometimes, um, and you, just as you're about to end, they might say something like, oh, before you go, Auntie Doris sends her love. Oh, and you know her son, Billy? He's going off for his gap year next year. And it's like he's kind of telling you about all these different people, um, some of whom they know and some of whom they don't. And, of course, we don't know them. Um... And so, to us, it might seem a bit dry. It's just a list of odd names that we don't know how to pronounce because we don't speak Greek. Um, but, actually, like if you just imagine um, Sean, when he's off on his sabbatical and goes to visit another church, and um, he might be saying things like, oh, you know, Brian and Tone, they do a great thing with the music, and the band, they're always really good. And then we've got Daryl and Amelia on the... On the, on the um, tech and Tim's doing a great job leading the church and he sends, says hi and he's talking about real people people that mattered to him and mattered to the people he was writing to and so I wanted us just this morning to delve into their stories a little bit because as you start to do that there's a kind of whole library of stuff going on here um, and I've sort of roughly grouped them in three main groups first of all um, although that's not the order that Paul says it in but there are three types of people that he talks about. There's Tychicus, Aristarchus, Epaphras, and Luke. And these are his kind of rock-solid crew. They have been with Paul in his travels around the Mediterranean. Aristarchus is clearly someone who just won't give up. He, in, when they were in Ephesus, there was a riot broke out because of what Paul was saying, and he was seized by the authorities and taken prisoner. He's traveled with Paul to Rome, and he's now a prisoner in Rome with Paul because of the gospel. Um, he just won't give up. Luke, the doctor, um, handy person to have in your team, I should imagine, especially if you're traveling around. But he wasn't just a doctor. For those that you don't know, he was also a writer. He wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And you just kind of wonder, you can imagine them in this house arrest in Rome, while Paul is there writing his letters, and Luke is sitting there going, go on, tell me what happened next. What was going on? And he's scribbling down his book. Um, these are faithful people who have just kept on being committed to God, being committed to Jesus, and being committed to Paul. And I know that there are people in this church like that who have just kept going, kept growing, 
kept wanting to love Jesus and love people more. The second group um, I've put together is Onesimus and Mark. Their stories are different, but there's a key link. So Onesimus was a slave in Colossae, where this letter's going to, and he escaped, and he ran away. And he ended up in Rome, and now he's become a Christian. And Paul is sending him back to Colossae to sort things out with the man who he was a slave for, who is also a Christian. Um, There is a whole other book on this, if you want to read more. It's called Philemon. It's only one page long. It's a few pages further on. Um, And it tells, and Paul is then in that book, that letter encouraging Philemon to receive Onesimus back well, to be, re- to be reconciled. And then the other one is Mark. Now, when Paul set out on his very first missionary journey, when he was going to start telling people beyond Israel about Jesus, the church sent him and Barnabas together. And I'd never noticed this until I read this when I was preparing for this. But Mark, who went with them, was Barnabas's cousin. And that is significant in a minute. At some point in that journey, Mark got scared, it all became too much, and he left. He quit. And then the next time Barnabas and Paul were about to set off, Barnabas wanted to give him another chance, presumably because it was his cousin, you know, his family. And he was like, come on, give him another chance, I'm sure he'll do better this time. Paul was so furious with Mark and so didn't trust him, didn't want to rely on him, that he absolutely refused point-blank to take him, and Barnabas and Paul had an absolute Barney of a row, and Barnabas and uh, Mark went off to Cyprus um, to start sharing the gospel there, and Paul went in completely the opposite direction. And that is all you ever hear about it. And it's so sad, these two great missionaries, two great evangelists having a huge row. I mean, that never happens in the church today, does it? (laughs) (laughs) But... Just when we read this, suddenly Mark, Mark is in Rome and is with Paul. And Paul is saying to them, if he comes to you, please welcome him. So something's happened to restore that relationship. You know, Paul wrote in, in, in the, just before this in the letter, Paul says this to them, bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And he's not writing that as some grand ideal. He's had to live it out. He's forgiven Mark. Mark's forgiven him. They're restored, which is amazing. So the link between Mark and Paul is restoring broken relationships. The last group is um, a person and a church. So we've got Demas, who is um, mentioned. He says hi, apparently. Um, And the church in Laodicea. So Demas is one of Paul's team. He's there with him in Rome. He only gets mentioned twice in the New Testament. And the next time he's mentioned is when Paul is writing later on to Timothy, who is one of his team who's um, now um, leading churches in his own right. And he just says this, and it is so sad. He says, Demas, because he loved the world, has left me. And... The church in Laodicea, at this point, is clearly a going concern. Paul has written to them, he says, wants them to read out your letter and you read their letter. But they also get mentioned again in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation's got a whole load of um, kind of mystical, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, end of times, 
apocalyptic visions, that's the word. And, um, but before that, there are, there are seven letters written to seven churches, and Laodicea is the last one. And this is what Jesus is speaking. These are letters from Jesus to the churches, and this is what he says to them. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. Because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. It turns out that the temptation for Demas and Laodicea is the same. This world, its wealth, its pleasures... The question for us, I think, this morning is, as you listen to those three groups, you've got the kind of faithful, committed team who are keeping going. You've got the ones who have got some relationships that need some sorting out. And you've got the ones who are just struggling with, actually, this world is quite fun, and I'd quite like to get on with life here, and I've got quite a lot of money, or I wish I did, and, I'm, and those are the things that are my priority. And the question for us is, which group do you think you're in? And where do you want to be? Like I said, I know that there are some, I can't say this, some Tychicuses, some Aristarchuses, and some Epaphrases in this church. I know there are. Whose commitment to Jesus and whose grace and love are growing and flowing. And that is a huge blessing to everyone around them. But maybe this morning some of us know that We are following Jesus, but there is a relationship that has gone wrong. And we need to try and do what we can to put it right. Onesimus was taking a big risk in going back to Colossae because um, the penalty for being a runaway slave was to be executed if you were caught. So if Philemon didn't respond well, he was jeopardizing everything. But maybe he had seen what Mark and Paul had done and he knew that he needed to do the same, that he needed to be reconciled with Philemon and deal with the things that had gone wrong. Maybe you feel like you're, you're like Mark before things were sorted out. Maybe you've run away. Maybe you've just slowly drifted out on God or on certain relationships, and it is hard to imagine that there is a way back. But like Mark, there is still hope. I think we probably have to be honest and say that the temptation to be Demas or the Laodiceans is a constant one, given where we live. Because we have a lot, most of us. Laodicea was a really rich town. We don't know about Demas's circumstances. Maybe he was well off. Maybe he wasn't. And actually, he just felt fed up all the time because other people had and I don't. And I'm following Paul around and I'm doing this stuff for God, but I don't have anything. Either way, the temptation to, to, to be satisfied with just this world and not the one who made it is strong. So I wonder if you can just take a moment now and try and be as honest with yourself as you can and think, okay, which one of those am I? And I think the big question then is, where do I want to be? I wonder what made the difference. What stopped Demas being faithful, like Aristarchus? What helped Paul and Mark sort out their differences? 
What gave Onesimus the courage to try and sort out his relationships? I don't know all their stories. I would love to. Um, it's one thing I plan to do a lot of in heaven, is go and ask people to fill in all the gaps, the things we don't know about. Um, I'm assuming there'll be time. Um, and obviously the answer is God. God helped them. But what, why did they manage to go that way? Why were they able to follow God? And Demas, as far as we know, drifted away and never came back. We don't know. He might have done. Well, I can't help thinking that the things that Paul is scribbling down at the end of his letter, the really important things he doesn't want to miss out, must be useful to us. And if you go back to verse 2, sorry. If we go back to verse 2, the number one thing Paul tells us to do is pray. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. And the word we translate as devote has lots of meanings. It means um, continue all the time, be steadfast in, persevere, or simply stick at, stick to, stick to praying. What makes Paul so adamant about going on with prayer? I think there are two reasons that actually come out in just what he says here. I think he knows this simple but profound truth. When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. You know, I'm not saying we shouldn't work. I'm not saying we shouldn't do stuff. If uh, the, uh, um, That image of a boat. If you don't take the boat, if your boat is sitting in harbour with the sails furled, it's not going to go anywhere. You have got to rig it. You have got to take it out on the water. But it is the wind that is going to get it where it needs to go. Immediately, you need to steer. There is stuff for you to do, but without the wind, your sailing boat is going nowhere. So it's not that we don't do anything, but we need to be realistic that really the thing that makes the difference is God's power. Look what Paul says. He says, pray for us. Um, Pray that I will proclaim the message clearly like I should. I love that. Paul wrote, I was counting up, I said two-thirds this morning, but I think it's about half. But either way, he wrote about half of the New Testament. He wrote amazing theology, difficult theology that we have to wrestle with at times, but amazing theology. And Paul is saying, please pray that I'll get it right. Please pray that I'll say it clearly. Please pray that when I get the chance, I won't mess it up. I find that so encouraging. Because if he felt like that, it is okay that we feel like that. And he, he says pray because he knows that when God is at work, that makes all the difference. Secondly, the other thing he prays for, he asks him to pray for, is um, it says for God to open a door. Now, bearing in mind that Paul is in prison, I think he would be um, well within his rights to say, please pray that God will open a door and get me out of here. But he doesn't. He says, please pray for a door for the message to get out. Paul's focus is God and God's agenda and what God wants to do where he is. I think often my agenda is what I want and how I want God to make it happen. I think Paul, Paul is a missionary. He spent his life traveling around telling people about Jesus. I'm sure he was thinking... I could be doing so much if I could just get there and see them and all I can do is sit here and write letters. How is that going to help? And yet, if Paul hadn't been stuck in prison and hadn't written half of the New Testament, we would not be able to be learning from it, growing through it 2,000 years later and all the people in between. So I think possibly God knew what he was doing when he left him there. I think if we are struggling to stick at praying, to persevere, 
Maybe it's because we sort of lost sight of the infinite power and love of God, and we wonder what difference will it make. Maybe we have prayed for something that felt so important, but we haven't seen it answered. Maybe we've sort of got used to the amazing message that we have, the the amazing thing of knowing God and being loved by him. We've forgotten how staggering that is. Maybe we are just too comfortable. I think being comfortable is one of the devil's most useful weapons in getting us to stop praying. Because it becomes a chore rather than this amazing privilege. And we, we sort of feel a bit like the Laodiceans that we, you know, we've acquired wealth. We don't need a thing. We're fine. Um, but Paul is saying we need to stick at it. Or maybe we're just, we have lost sight of God's values, God's plans. I don't mean by that we can't ask him for things. Paul talks about the thorn in his side that he kept asking God to remove and God didn't. Of course we can ask our Heavenly Father for things. What I mean is, Paul is so overwhelmed, filled up with the amazing love of God and his beautiful, crazy, exciting plan to save what is still a very troubled world, that that's where he starts. Pray for a door for the message. If we feel this morning we are, we are an Aristarchus, we've, we've kept going, we've kept faithful, keep praying. If you feel like you're Onesimus and you feel very uncertain about some relationships and you don't know how they're going to be resolved, pray. If you think, I feel like I am like Demas, like the Laodiceans, I actually feel like I've drifted so far. Um, I've, I come to church, but what's going underneath is not the same. Um, before the first service, we were praying, um, and the, there was a kind of picture of um, people coming to church regularly but withering on the inside. And if that's you, then pray. And that might sound ridiculous. You might think, well, I don't know what to pray. And I don't mean, oh, develop a good, strong prayer life, get it all sorted. What I mean is say, I feel lost. I, I'm, I'm nowhere. I don't know what to do. Help. Whatever is you need to pray, just pray something. Because I think that is, when we share life with God and we talk to him, that is how we become more like Aristarchus and less like Demas. Because we're walking towards God, we're connecting with him. The second thing that Paul really wants them to get before he finishes his letter is about their focus on other people. He says, um, be wise in the way, towards, the way you act towards those outside the faith. Um, I love the fact that um, the word towards, how you behave towards in Greek, also means t- to the advantage of. Be wise in the way you act to the advantage of others outside the faith. So be good news to people who don't know Jesus yet. And look for every chance to tell them about him. And then I love this as well. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. So grace should be the hallmark of everything we do towards those who don't know God. But it also should be a bit tangy. Spice gives flavour. We shouldn't be boring people with the gospel. And I think sometimes we're not very good at that. We're good at being very clear about what people should and shouldn't do, but we're not very good at showing them grace when they don't. Or we're very good at being nice, but we're not really ever giving them the edge of the gospel. 
And I think underneath that is how do we feel about them? I think we, li we live certainly in this country in a culture where people are throwing off Christian values as fast as they can, it seems, at times. And, and I think our response to that is quite telling because if we're getting angry, if we are outraged by the way people have, can't believe the way people do this, if that's our response, then where is the grace? Actually, we should feel pain and we should feel love. So these are the last two things Paul says to the Colossians in this letter. Whatever you do, don't stop talking to God. Whatever's going on, don't stop talking to God. And whatever you do, don't stop thinking about the people outside. Show them grace. Have a bit of a zing in your conversation and be ready to answer them when they ask. And I can't help thinking that if we do those things, then we are walking towards being the faithful ones that people can rely on, the people who walk all the way through life knowing and loving Jesus. And whether we feel that we are doing those things well, whether you feel like, I think I'm slowly shriveling up or I'm teetering on the edge, I'm hanging on by my fingertips, I just want to finish by um, reading this. Because this is the end of what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. Having said those very strong words, if you don't change, you're about to get spat out. You have no idea. You think you're wealthy, but you are pitiful. This is what he then says to them, and he says it to us wherever we are on that spectrum this morning. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. So wherever we are right now, whoever we are, the offer from Jesus still stands. And I think the heart of the gospel and of prayer that Jesus offers to come and be with us, we can share daily life with him. All we have to do is open the door.